Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Father, I pray that these words would ring true in our lives, that you would teach us and guide us, reveal yourself to us. And Father, may we walk away from here glorifying you, for your love endures forever. And who you are, Father, who you are, God, is what we love and what we praise and what we worship this morning. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. This is not my usual look. No, don't even say that. I, every morning I wake up this last week, and uh, it was a different person staring at me in the mirror. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Jason and Vinny and I uh, did the bike to camp last week, uh, which is 200 miles down to, from Apple Valley down to um, northeast Iowa to raise money for uh, the Bible camp that we support. And so to do that, we decided to look like this because you voted for it. So this is your fault if you're upset. Sorry. Um, I didn't vote for that one. I voted for a different one. So anyway, uh, this, enjoy it because it's gone at 12.01. It is gone. So, uh, but it was a great trip. No injuries. No, nothing major um, other than wind in your face the first day where most people wanted to give up. And then Jason, in his wonderful wisdom, said, it's going to be sunny the second day. And then it rained all day. So he was the enemy um, for a while there. Um, but, um, you know, that's why weathermen, you know, they can be wrong half the time and everybody's okay, right? So it wasn't his fault. He looked at his weather app. So, but we like giving him a hard time. So anyway, thanks for your support. Thanks for your prayers. It was a very good trip, um, but uh, we're ready to get back. I'm ready to be back. I'm ready to, um, uh, to continue through uh, the book of Psalms or the, our, our ser- sermon series on Psalm, our summer series. Uh, we're going to be here until actually after September. Uh, September, if I'm trying to, September 11th is the last Sunday, so that's the same Sunday that we're doing starting Sunday school up. Um, so we're going to do Psalms all the way through there, and then um, we're going to jump back into Samuel, so 2 Samuel. We've gone through 1 Samuel, now we'll, we'll hit 2 Samuel and continue through the story there. So last week, there were 14 riders who rode all the way down to camp, and as I said, we battled wind and rain, heat and sweat, tired and sore muscles, Cranky people, 
flat tires and road construction. And it certainly wasn't the Tour de France, so we can't, you know, boast too highly, but it also wasn't a relaxing ride to the park. So the bike to camp, it takes time, it takes endurance, it takes perseverance, it takes patience, and it takes a lot of training. And the more time that you spend training for the ride, the more prepared that you are for what is going to come, because you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't know what the weather is going to be like. You don't know what the next day holds other than I've got to sit on a small seat for the next 75 miles. And so you fall back on your training hoping that it was enough. Well, Psalm 138 is first and foremost, it is a a psalm of thanksgiving to and the worship of the Lord. That's the main point. David is not the point. We are not the point. The Lord is the point. But it's also a psalm of spiritual training and preparation for David, and hence for us, those of us at least who are children of God and we put our faith in him. So David begins with an expression of his present worship of the Lord. That's the first three verses. And then he moves into an anticipation of his future worship of the Lord. That's four through six. And then he ends with these last two, the last two verses with a request for the Lord to continue to prepare him for that future worship. And so this psalm teaches that earthly fleeting life of the follower of God is but a training ground for the heavenly eternal life that awaits them at the end of time. And like the bike trip, the training can be brutal and exhausting. As Aaron had said in that psalm, sometimes we want to come to church, we're happy. But sometimes we've had a hard week, we've had difficult situations, we've had very hard circumstances in life that to just put on a happy face is not going to do it. We just can't. And yet we come and we still worship God, for instance, on a Sunday morning together. That circumstances do not determine our worship. So how do we do that? Well, that's what David is getting at. The training, the worship here and now can be brutal and exhausting. But unlike the bike trip, we never want the ride to end. We never want to stop worshiping God all the way until the end. And guess what? The end never comes. The end never comes. On the bike trip, I tell you when Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, when we got off of that that bike and I set my bike aside and I knew I wasn't going to have to get on until Tuesday, um, it was a beautiful feeling. And it was enjoyable and even greater to sit in a car seat that was really wide and cushy. You're excited for the trip to get done. All that work you put in, you're like, finally. And yet, unlike the bike trip, our worship of God as his people will never end and we never want it to end. So these first three verses, I want to read them again. 
I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day that I called, you answered me. You, my strength of soul, you increase. See, David expresses his worship in terms of thanksgiving and praise and humility and honor of God. His worship isn't simply a, a profession or a ritual. He shows up to the temple and just goes through the actions of it. Instead, it bursts out with his whole heart, all of his being. He can't help himself but sing of the thanksgiving and praise of God. He's not ashamed to publicly sing the Lord's praises before kings and human judges. That's what that before the gods means. And if you want a little bit back, we're not going to go to it, but you can write in your Bible right there, Psalm 82. Psalm 82. You can go back and read that psalm. He uses the same phrase. And the context is there are no other gods. Like they don't exist. So what does he mean there? Well, that's the human kings and the human judges. He's not ashamed to say, I thank God and I praise him, Yahweh. And he bows down toward the Lord's holy temple where the presence of God resides. It's an act which would require him to lie on the ground with his face to the earth. He gives thanks to God's name. And names are important in the Bible. It talks of character. It talks about who God is. He praises and gives thanks to God for who he is. He thanks, gives thanks to God for his steadfast love, which as I continue to read through the Psalms, I'm beginning to see that I think steadfast love is just another way for saying eternal life, eternal eternity in the presence of God. I thank you for loving me steadfastly all the way through my life until I am with you. That's the Lord's steadfast love. And he praises him and thanks him for his faithfulness, for God's faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his reliability to do what he promises. But why? Why all this thanksgiving? Why all this praise? Well, he says ultimately. So what would drive David to worship God so publicly and so intimately and so much, with so much humility? Because the Lord God has exalted above all all things, God's name and God's word. Above all feelings, above all material possessions, above all power, above all creation, above all knowledge, the Lord has magnified and lift up, lifted up his character, God's character, and God's commands and promises, his word. For David, who God is and what God says drives his worship of God. And so when David calls to him, God answers. Because God is always faithful and reliable to hear and answer the prayers of those who worship him. And his answer to David is to increase the strength of his soul. Notice he doesn't say to take away his trouble. He strengthens David in the midst of, of the trouble. He gives David's weak and afflicted spirit fresh strength to endure to the end. 
So the character and the word of God to steadfastly and faithfully keep his promises to David and ultimately to God's people drives David's worship of Yahweh. How different that is, right? We think, I praise God for giving me another breath today and for what he's given me. But for God's people today, God doesn't change or shift with the winds of culture. He's the same God today that David is worshiping and praising and give thanks, giving to. He's the same God yesterday, and he will be the same God tomorrow. And it's true, yes, that God grants us gifts, many gifts, that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned. Our very breath is a gift, and we should be thankful for those gifts, but it is not. Those gifts are not what drive us to worship God, or at least should not be what drives us to worship God. Ultimately, our present worship today, in this moment, as we're gathering together, should be founded not upon the gifts of God to us, but founded upon the character and the word of God. And we know that he will answer us as his people when we call on him in times of weakness and affliction because that's who he is. That's what he does. Again, he doesn't remove us. He doesn't remove us from the pain and affliction many times, probably most of the time. But he strengthens us to endure through it. And so we worship God, not because of what He gives, but because of who He is. And then David suddenly shifts from his present worship then to this future worship of all the kings of the earth. Now I want to read these. This is a it's kind of seems strange, and hopefully by the end we'll kind of bring it all together. It says in verse, verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Now, how can we know that this is future worship and not David's present worship? Well, first of all, it's written in the future tense. He says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. So this is a future thing. Something's happening in the future. Now, secondly, if we think about all the kings and the rulers of David's day, or even just thinking of the, the rulers of our own time, do all of them worship God? Do all of them give praise to God? Well, they, they don't. They they reject God, many of them. And so this has to be taking place sometime in the future to a specific group of kings or leaders. So when? When does this happen? When is this future worship that David is speaking of? Well, we get a hint of it in Revelation chapter 21 where the new heavens and the new earth, they've been created. The old heavens and the old earth have been destroyed. And the new Jerusalem has been established. And this is, this is God's description of this city. 
And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. That glory is his character. Who God is gives the light to the, to the city. And its lamp is the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ. And by its light will the nations walk and hear this, the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. Now we could say, there's a passage that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, right? That, that every knee, every bow will eventually stand and bow before Jesus Christ, the great judge. Whether they like it or not, they're going to have to give him acknowledgement. But there's a problem if we're going to interpret this passage that way because it's the new city. Because this is what he says, the rest of that passage. Revelation 21, 25 through 27 says this, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it, that is, the nations and the kings will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this city is filled only with people who love God, who worship God, and are saved by God, by the Lamb, by Jesus Christ. Everybody else who hates God, everybody else who rejects God, everybody else who rejects Jesus Christ as their Savior is already at this point in hell. They're in eternal death. They're in eternal torment. This city is filled only with those who worship God. And so these kings and these nations, literally these people groups, will bring their glory and honor, which is given to them by God, into the new Jerusalem to live with and give glory to the Lord. But these kings and these nations don't include, again, everyone who ever lived but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will be in that city. And so then going back to Psalm 138, all the kings of the earth worship the Lord by giving him thanks and singing praises to him. Why? Because they have heard the words of your mouth. That is, the words of the Lord, his commands and his promises, and because of the greatness and the glory of the Lord, because of his character. Somebody who hates God, hates his character and hates his word, rejects it. Only those who love God, only those who are saved by God, will give God glory in the end. And Though God is great and mighty and glorious, he looks upon those who humble themselves and worship as David did. For God sees and honors the lowly and the humble, but he turns from and he curses the proud. And so David's present worship of God for his character and his word is foreshadowing the gathering of the kings and the nations at the end of time when all of God's people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will gather together in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth to worship God 
for all eternity for his character and for his word. You see, you see how he's, he's worshiping God and then saying this is just a foreshadow of what's going to happen when I stand before the King of Kings for the rest of eternity. And it's the same with us today as God's people. Worship can take place anywhere, anytime. But let's just think of our time this morning. Sunday morning, worship services here at Elm Creek. Every time we gather together as God's people to worship Him, we are foreshadowing the great worship that will take place during all of eternity. That every time we worship together, we get a glimpse of, even if it's just a faint image of our eternal worship of God before God. If you really think about it, if you really dwell on it, if you chew on that for a while, it changes the way you view a Sunday morning. It changes the way you worship with God's people, wherever it may be. This is not simply a service that we gather together because Mark needs, you know, money to buy food for his family or because, you know, I like these people and it's great. Now, we are here to worship God for who God is, for his character. Yes, he saved us. Praise his holy name. And this little time of worship, this one hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning, it's just a glimpse of what the rest of eternity will be like. And if there's a preacher, it ain't going to be me, praise Jesus. It's going to be Jesus, right? It's going to be so much better. We might love this time. It is nothing. It is nothing compared to what we'll experience when we stand before the King for all of eternity and worship and worship Him. And so David, in this psalm, he begins with this expression of his present worship of the Lord. He moves to an anticipation of his future worship of the Lord for all eternities, builds this excitement, and then he concludes with a request for the Lord to continue to prepare him for that future worship. So listen to verses 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. His steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I can't help but think of Psalm 23 when I read verse 7. This is, this is, again, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. And then you read Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even though David finds himself in the middle of troubles and trials and 
maybe even the valley of the shadow of death where his enemies are seeking his life, the Lord preserves and delivers his life. And this preservation and deliverance can be taken both in the present time and the future. That's the context of the psalm. Even, even should David be facing earthly death, the Lord will deliver him and preserve him. But the day is going to come when David's life is going to end. David's not around anymore. He's, he's a dead man. He's in the ground. David, though, has confidence in the Lord that the day will come that even though he may pass from this world and this earth, he will go to the next and that his life will ultimately and eternally be preserved and delivered into the hands of God, the eternal hands of God. How do we know this by this psalm? Well, he says in verse 8, because the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. That steadfast love, that's an eternal love. It never ends for his people. And this type of language is used throughout Scripture to describe both an earthly salvation and an eternal salvation. So Psalm 57, verses 2 and 3. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Where have we heard those two things before? In Psalm 138. And then go to the New Testament. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the second coming of Christ. The day when Christ will return and bring his people into heaven with him. God has promised that he will not forsake his people. He has promised to save us, to fulfill his salvation for our souls, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when when we find ourselves walking in the midst of trouble on this earth, and we will always find ourselves walking in the midst of trouble, these words of David remind us that God is faithful to fulfill his promised salvation of our souls. He will accomplish exactly what he purposes, our salvation from eternal death. And our worship of him our thankful praise of him for his character, for his word, our humility in approaching and worshiping the glory and the honor of our God while here on this earth. It is but a preparation for our worship of him at the end of all things. Our lives are living in the here and now, but as God's people, we look ahead we look ahead to the time when all the troubles of this world are gone and we worship him perfectly and praising him for his glory and for his character and for his word. Only those who humble themselves before the creator God, submitting themselves to his work in their life, 
are transformed and made spiritually alive by the power of the Holy Spirit are preserved and delivered by God. You say, well, that's not very inclusive. No, God's not. These are not my words. I'm not God. I wouldn't do it this way. But he says, he says only those who belong to me will be saved. Only those who belong to me will be in eternal life in my presence forever. Only those who are my people will have my purpose of my salvation of their souls fulfilled. Not every king and not every individual in every nation will receive eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we've quoted this how many times? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Well, what's the gift? Grace, salvation, and faith is all a gift of God. Why? So that we can't boast in ourselves. That I can't stand before God at the end of time and say, God, look what I did. I stand before God and I say, praise your name and praise you. Praise what you have done. Praise you for your word. Praise you for your work in my life to change me and to save me. So that I don't stand before the creator God and boast before him. Who am I? Who am I? And David's final request, and this is, it seems so weird, right? It's like this thanksgiving, this psalm of just praise and glory and honor, and you are so good, God. And then he says this last line, do not forsake the work of your hands. That speaks, it speaks of our eternity, our eternal life. We who believe... We who give thanks with our whole heart, we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. He has saved us. He has promised to complete that salvation one day. One day He will do that. But until that day comes, our lives are but a training ground for us to learn humble worship of Him looking forward to the day in which he will complete his work. It's a re- request, Lord, fulfill your purposes for me. Do not forsake the work, the work of your hands. Do not forsake what you're doing in my life. Do not forsake the sanctification is what the Bible calls it, making me more holy, making me more like you, giving me your heart and destroying my own heart, which is driven to to love sin and driven to love fleshly desires and my own heart. Instead, he transforms me. God, don't stop doing that. Don't ever stop doing that. Never forsake the work of your hand. And when you brought that purpose to completion, that is the day that you will bring me home. Do not forsake the work of your hands, Lord. Don't stop. Don't give up on me. And it's kind of like this moot moot request because David has just spent seven verses saying, you will not forsake the work of your hand. You will not. It's another way for David to humble himself and say, this is all you, God. This is all on you. Don't stop working on me. Deliver me. Deliver me from this world into eternal life.
So what does this psalm ultimately say? Well, (laughs) give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because of his character and because of his word, because of his name and his faithfulness, because of his steadfast love, to do exactly what he says, his reliability. He has promised that we who believe will be saved. And so that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens, whatever circumstance we're in right now, whatever's going on around us in the world and in the culture, in the end, we know God is going to accomplish his purpose. This is not a we could see this as a selfish psalm, right? Like, don't stop working on me as if it's all about me, 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 me. Don't, don't read it. That's not what David is doing. Remember, he's humbling himself before the Lord. He's bowing down to his presence with his face to the ground. There's nothing humble about the king of Israel getting into that position before the creator of the world. He is pouring his heart out to God and worshiping him with his whole heart. So God... Don't stop working on me. Don't stop working on me. Don't give up on me. And I know you won't. I know you won't because you promise you won't. You will fulfill it all. And so I worship you. Is that our attitude when we come to church on Sunday? Is that our attitude when we pick up the Bible or we're driving to work and we're praying and we worship God with all of our life? Is that what our life projects to the people around us and to us? Are our lives giving glory to God for His name and for His faithfulness and for His word? And so may we be encouraged, may we be challenged to never stop giving thanks to God and worshiping Him for Him. For Him. Father, I pray with these words, that you would be given the glory as we, we come to the table. I pray, Father, that um, we, would, we would think about what your Son did on the cross, that you saved us. Yes, we praise you for what you have done, and we give you the worship and glory. But I pray, Father, too, that we would come before you and, and just give you praise for who you are. You have promised to save those who believe, and if we believe, you have saved us. And so we come to you with thanksgiving and worship. May our whole hearts, in this moment, Father, as we take the cup together, may it just be a, a, an outpouring of worship and love and joy and thanksgiving for you and for your word that you have accomplished what you have purposed. And that in the future, Father, you will continue to work on us. And then in the very eternal future, Father, we will stand before you as your people. Because you have saved us, because of who you are, we we will worship you forever. And so, Father, speak to us, guide us. And, Father, may our lives and our hearts just pour out with worship to you. We ask this in your name. Amen.